very much, Julie and praise team. That was just a wonderful time together, expressing our love and singing those great truths to our God. And so thank you so much for your ministry to us and leading us this morning. Well, I'd like to begin this morning with this series of questions, and I wonder if you know what the answer is. What chapter of the Bible has the greatest concentration of verses on the Holy Spirit? An average of one mention every two verses, a total of 21 times in one chapter. Now, would you say the answer with me this morning? Let's say it together. It is Romans 8. In fact, the Holy Spirit is named only four times in the first seven chapters of Romans, but named over five times as much in Romans chapter 8. Now, I know it's early, but we at least should say, wow. Can we say wow together? All right, wow. Now, what this does is it tells us the subject of Romans chapter 8. The subject is very, very clear. What does the Holy Spirit do for us? Now, it's very interesting how Romans chapter 8 unfolds. It starts with no condemnation. It ends with no separation. And in the middle is no defeat. And of course, all of this is the work of the Holy Spirit who is the one who brings us into these blessings. Now, because of this, there are some who have called Romans 8 the greatest chapter in the Bible. Others have said it is the chapter of chapters for the life of the believer. And one Bible teacher said, if uh, the Bible were a ring, and uh, the book of Romans were the precious stone, then Romans chapter 8 is the sparkling point of the jewel in that precious stone. And so this morning, as we begin, we're going to begin looking at what does the Holy Spirit do for us. Let's take our Bibles and open to Romans chapter 8. You may want to take the chair Bible in front of you this morning as the Lord may lead you. And turn to that wonderful chapter, and as we begin, let's just take a moment and pray. Father, we began by singing a song about the triune God, and about the Holy Spirit, and the place that He has in Your wonderful work of salvation. And Lord, to understand Him and what He does is to understand how the Christian life works and how we are to live it. And so this very wonderful and significant chapter is so beautiful as it unfolds this to us. Thank you, Spirit of God, that you are present today as our teacher And you can take the things of Christ and you can show them unto us. Be pleased to do that now for Jesus' wonderful sake. Amen. 
As we open Romans chapter 8, the first thing that we see that the Holy Spirit does is he puts believers in Christ Jesus. And I want you to look with me at verses 1 and 2 and notice how this is stated. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Now you will notice in the opening two verses this phrase twice in Christ Jesus. And verse 2 makes it very clear that it is the Holy Spirit who has put us in Christ Jesus. Now that little preposition in, which can easily get lost as we read these two verses, is very, very important because it often has the meaning of a close personal relation. So that one person is put in a close personal relation with another, in this case, the Holy Spirit puts us in close association with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what we would call this, and we are all familiar with saying this, is we have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes in the Bible it is called being put into a new realm where Jesus is now the controlling influence. And so the Holy Spirit puts us into relationship to Christ so that we benefit as a believer from all that the Lord Jesus has done for us. Now the Bible calls this great work of the Holy Spirit the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Let me ask you to read with me perhaps the key text on the baptism of the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 13. Let's read it together. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. Now, notice two ministries of the Holy Spirit. Number one, He indwells every believer. That's the figure of drinking. And number two, He joins us to the body of Christ. That's the figure of baptizing. And what happens in this great work is we enter into a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and also with His church. And since we are now in that relationship, everything Jesus did for us is now ours. Uh, Let me ask you as you look at the verse, how many Christians have experienced these two works of the Holy Spirit? How many? All. Did you see that? The word all is twice. If you are a believer here today, this includes you. You have been put into Christ Jesus. And because you have everything, everything, flows from this relationship. How wonderful this is. Now, as we continue to notice then, the Apostle Paul says, because the Holy Spirit has done this for us as believers, 
there are some results of this work of the Spirit. And these are things that we rejoice and exult in. Let's look at them together, okay? First of all, we are free from all condemnation. As Bill earlier read verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That opening verse stands over the entire chapter. It is why there will be no separation and ultimately no defeat for every child of God. Now, in our courtrooms, <clears throat> we understand today that usually condemnation is separated from sentencing. A judge will pronounce the guilty verdict on the person who is condemned, but it is only later then that they are come back and the sentence is given, and they are taken away to their punishment. But in the first century, when this verse was written, the Romans understood that condemnation included both the guilty verdict and the execution of the sentence. So the emphasis here is not so much on the not guilty verdict, although that is there, but the punishment after it. So what the Bible is saying to us is this, no sentence or punishment for sins will occur for the sins of believers that they have committed or ever will commit. This is the meaning of the word no. In fact, it is very direct and very dynamic and very emphatic. There is no verb actually in the original language, so it simply begins, no condemnation, period, period. And it's a little hard actually to translate the word no here in English because it's not the normal word for no. The word no here means not a single one of any kind. God has suspended the sentence for believers, and you will notice the word now. When does this suspended sentence begin? Now. The sentence is suspended now. One pastor has said this, not only is the Christian not in a state of condemnation now, we never can be, it is impossible. That's what God is saying to us. Now brothers and sisters, this is the basis for a couple of very, very important things in the Christian life. Number one, it is the basis for a clear conscience. If I were to go through the congregation today and say to you, do you ever feel guilty about things you've done in the past? I think most of us would say, yes, once in a while I do. And some of us here struggle. We can't get over the guilt feelings of the past. Do you know, sometimes in my own personal life, I will think about things that I did when I was a teenager. And sometimes they will haunt me. And I will feel depressed and discouraged because of those things. Do you know the Apostle Paul felt exactly this way? 
it might surprise us, but when you think about his life and what he writes here, you have to know that there were times when his conscience still haunted him. Look at what he says in 1 Corinthians 15.9. He says, For I am the least of the apostles. And I don't even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. You know what he's referring to? He's referring to Acts chapter 8. And the Bible says that there was a great persecution that was unleashed on the early Christians. And it says about Paul that he went about ravaging the early church. The word ravaging there means to injure severely. He was involved in torturing Christians. And then verse 1 says of Acts 8, he approved of the execution of Stephen. How many of you think many times Paul was haunted by a guilty conscience? How did he deal with it? Brothers and sisters, the same way that we do. He believed Romans 8.1. That's how he dealt with it. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. The Apostle Paul dealt with the guilt feelings of the past because he believed the Almighty Judge when he said about him, the sentence against you has been suspended. If a judge were to say to you in a court of law, you're not guilty. Would you believe that, Judge? I think we all would. Particularly if that judge had the authority of the state or the federal government behind him. And it is the Almighty Judge who says, No condemnation. Therefore, we can believe him. He is the Judge. And the next time you feel guilty about something in your past, here's what you do. You stand on Romans 8.1. You say there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. It is what you have. Because you are in Christ. Now notice how Paul continues to develop this. And I want you to notice the second thing that we have being in Christ. Is we are given the work of the Father. Because of the Son. We are given the work of the Father because of the Son. Now look with me at verse 2. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. Now, I want you to notice here, as you look at verses 2 and 3, that the work of God the Father... 
and the work of God the Son are now brought in next to the work of God the Holy Spirit. You cannot miss this relationship. And we say, why is this the case here? Why in a chapter about the Holy Spirit is now the work of the Father and the work of the Son brought in? Well, let me give you, I think, the best answer I could ever find from the great Bible teacher J.I. Packer in his classic book, Knowing God. Listen with me to what Packer says about this. It is so helpful for us today. God is triune. There are within the Godhead three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And the work of salvation is one in which all three act together, the Father purposing redemption, the Son securing it, and the Spirit applying it. Now that's exactly what we're seeing here. The Spirit applies to believers what the Father, because of the Son, has accomplished. Notice how verse 2 starts with the word for, which means because. Why is it that the Spirit has put us into Christ where there is no condemnation? Well, it's because of what the Father and the Son have accomplished. Now, what I want us to see this morning is this little diagram and how the work of the Father and the Son line up with exactly what the Bible says here. And if you are a believer today and you are in Christ, then everything that is said here is true for you. And it is the reason why there is no condemnation. Now let's start with the Father and notice the Father planned salvation. Did you notice verse 3 says, God sending His own Son. Remember how Jesus said the Father sent the Son into the world. He planned our salvation. So that's where it began. Now let's go over and look at the work of the Son. He had to become incarnate as the God-man. And you will notice verse 3 says that He came in the likeness of sinful flesh. And we know that when He took on flesh, He became the God-man, the incarnate one, God and man in one person. But then notice how this passage tells us He remained sinless because He was in the likeness of sinful flesh. He was like us in every way except one way. He was free from sin Himself. And then notice that He made an atonement 
It says, coming in the likeness of sinful flesh, he came for sin. That's an expression that refers to a sin offering. It means when he offered himself, he atoned for or satisfied the wrath of God against sin. He paid the price. And then notice, uh, the result of this is redemption. Verse 2 says, we have been set free in Christ Jesus. He redeemed us from the bondage of sin by that payment of a price. And now notice, to cap it all off, the resurrection. Look at verse 11 for just a moment. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead. You know, this is one of the few places in all the Bible where it says the Holy Spirit was involved in raising Christ from the dead. Why? Because that same Spirit is going to give life to our mortal bodies. Now let's go back over then to the Father. Because of this, He justifies all who place their faith in Christ. Because notice at the end of verse 3, He condemned sin in the flesh. On the cross, He pronounced sentence against it. Condemned it in Christ and therefore condemned it for us. And then notice... This includes His sanctifying work because, verse 2 says, in sending the Spirit, He's the Spirit of life who sets us free from sin which leads to death. I wonder as you look at this this morning, how many think this is a pretty good summary of the Gospel? Huh? Is anything left out? Is there anything that is absent? That the gospel of the grace of God does for us? And all of this belongs to us because the Spirit puts every believer In Christ. Perhaps you may know that in the U.S. Constitution, there is an amendment that says no American citizen will ever be subjected to double jeopardy. Anybody know which amendment that is? Aren't you glad you came this morning? Is the Fifth Amendment. And look at what the Fifth Amendment says is your right as an American citizen that an individual cannot be tried twice for the same crime unless there is new evidence. And so if a person is tried and they don't like the outcome and they decide, well, let's just get another jury and see if we can get what we want, the U.S. Constitution says, no, you cannot be subjected to that. Pastor Warren Wiersbe says that double jeopardy is a sound legal principle. And this is what he says. 
since Jesus Christ paid the penalty for your sins, and since you are in Christ, God will not condemn you. There can be no double jeopardy. You see what the Spirit does? He puts us in Christ because we're in Christ. The sentence has been passed. And we are the recipients of all the work of the Father because of the Son. It's a glorious, glorious thing. Now look at the third thing that is the result of this work of the Holy Spirit. We are enabled to walk a new life. Did you notice the purpose of all of this in verse 4? In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Why has all of this been done? It is so that people now in the realm where Jesus is the controlling influence can by the power of the Holy Spirit live a new life. Now I want you to go back with me for just a moment to verse 2, and I want you to notice that verse 2 sets up a contrast. Did you notice this? The law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Notice this contrast. There's a contrast between the law of the Spirit versus the law of sin. Now, in both cases, law here means a ruling authority or an operating power. And what the Bible is saying is when sin by itself is the operating power in somebody's life, it ultimately leads to death. But when the Holy Spirit is the operating power in somebody's life, it leads to life. It leads to a new way of living. Now, when two operating powers but heads... One has to give way. So the power of sin has to give way to the power of the Spirit. But I want you to notice here, while this is a certain and new walk that every believer will be in, it is not a perfect walk as we learned from Romans 7. The word walk, which we're going to see uh, a little bit later as Paul develops this concept, implies a new direction. And so when we walk in this new realm that we've been placed into, we now have a new direction. But how many of you think the average person stumbles once in a while when they're walking? I heard that, yeah. Yeah. Of course. Do Christians stumble in sin? Yeah, we do. We do. If you're a Christian here today and you've stumbled and sinned, 
You can read the end of Romans 7 and you can say, that's what happened to me. I stumbled and sinned. But there's a big difference between stumbling and not following at all, isn't there? There's a big difference. Of course, when we are walking in a new direction, we may stumble. Of course we will. The Bible says that. But there's a difference between stumbling and not walking at all. And what the Apostle Paul is telling us here is the power of the Holy Spirit is so great when it comes into our life that even though there is continued stumbling, He ensures there is a new direction, a new walking and following after Christ. If you're here today and you've stumbled recently, this should be a great encouragement to you. Because to stumble does not mean that you're not a Christian. And God has made provision for your stumbling. But the question is, are you getting up again and continuing your walk towards Christ? And if you are, that's the evidence of the Holy Spirit. And you can take great encouragement from it. Last Monday, Ellen and I were moving around a lot of furniture. We wanted to take the bedroom set from downstairs up to the upstairs and the bedroom set from upstairs down to the downstairs and their queen-size beds and and all of that. There were some things from the garage that we were bringing in. And you know how this works, don't you, when you're doing this with your wife and it's several hours. And by the time we were done, I said to Ellen, Honey, how many sins do you think we've committed here in the last few hours? And she said, well, probably quite a few. And you apologize to one another. You ask the Lord to help and strengthen you. But you know, you're still following the Lord. And this is the work of the Spirit of God. Let me give you an illustration today that I I think is a very helpful one. It's very helpful for me. All of us on a number of occasions have encountered this scene, have we not? Normally, the power of gravity is so strong that a heavy cement slab like this stays firmly in place, doesn't it? I mean, you stand on a heavy cement slab like this on a sidewalk and it doesn't move. Why? Because the power of gravity is so great. But somebody planted a little acorn nearby, didn't it? And that little acorn sprouted a life, didn't it? 
And that life grew into a mighty oak tree. And the power of the life in that tree is so great. Look at it. It overcame the power of gravity. And it lifts up this immense lab. That's what the Holy Spirit is like in believers. The power of His life overcomes the power of sin. And we begin to walk in a new way. The Holy Spirit ensures that we will walk in that new way. Though no one will ever walk perfectly. And this is the heritage of the believer in Christ. The Holy Spirit puts you in Him. You are free from all condemnation. You are the recipient of the work of the Father because of the Son. And despite your continued imperfections, you will follow in a new way. What does the Bible call this? Grace, doesn't it? The Bible calls this grace. And let's bow together and thank the Lord for it. Just before I lead us in prayer, and we sing our final chorus, has the Holy Spirit put you in Christ? And are you sure that He has? And if you have any doubt, now is the time to settle that doubt. Settle it now. Say, Lord Jesus, I I believe in You. I repent of living life on my own terms. I cast myself upon your mercy. And by faith, I invite you to be my Lord and Savior. And I will claim the promise of your word. That the Spirit of God will put me into relationship with Christ. And my new life will begin. If you're here today and you have stumbled and failed. And you are a believer. The Lord knows all about it. He knew it when He saved you. And He has a plan and provision for you. 
He says that He will cleanse you of that. And He asks you if it's harmed somebody else to get it right with them. And then claim by faith the Holy Spirit is still working and He is taking you on the path. Old things have passed away. New things are coming. And let Him cleanse you. Let Him give you peace. Rest in the great truth. There's no double jeopardy for those who are in Christ Jesus. And be blessed and encouraged today. Father, thank you. Thank you. What a wonderful thing to know the Savior. What blessings to be a part of the plan of the Father. What wonder that the Holy Spirit applies it to us so that we are men and women, boys and girls, young people who have been made new. And we thank You that there's no condemnation. Therefore, there will never be any separation. And in the middle of those two things, there is ultimately no defeat. And we love You. And thank You. And live for You. In Jesus' name, amen.